I was reading a story in the Gear magazine, actually. It talks about a few years ago, FedEx, the logistics delivery company, ran an advert that spoofed the film Castaway, in which Tom Hanks played a FedEx worker whose company plane went down, stranding him in a desert island. Well, time went on, and then looking like a bedraggled Tom Hanks in the film, the FedEx employee in the advert goes up to the door of a smart suburban home, package in hand, and knocks on the door. When the lady comes to the door, he explains that, it's sorry it's been a delayed for five years, but he survived five years on a deserted desert island. And during the whole time, he had kept this package in order to deliver it to her. You know what it's like, these delivery companies, they always want to deliver the package. Well, she gives a simple, simple thank you. Well, he's a bit curious about what was in the package that he'd been protecting for so many years. He says, if I may ask, what was the package? Well, she opens it and shows him the content, saying, oh, nothing really, just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some vegetable plant seeds. Well, just like the contents of the package, the resources for spiritual growth and strength are available for every one of us. But you see, we must open the package and take advantage of it, of what's inside the package. So often we just carry the package around, carry on as normal, without really looking inside. Well, throughout the year, we've been opening the package in our discipling, and we'll be continuing to do that into 2015 on our Sunday morning services and various other occasions in the life of the church. And some, so far, there have been some key points. Points that have stood out to us. And I think the word from David Bedford was very much one of those when he preached a few weeks ago now, when he said, stop being occupied with church and be a kingdom people. And we need to continue to work through that. And the elders are looking at how we can be working through that. And these words were before us on the board during our week of prayer the week before last. I wanted to link this morning just a bit with that time of prayer... That time of prayer was born out of a clear vision, not just a good idea. And we need to be sure that when we do things in the church, they're born out of a clear vision, not just a good idea. A vision will give us a good idea, but it needs to be a clear vision. And that was the case with this time of prayer. And we, certainly brought, we were certainly brought together before the Lord and... As far as I was concerned, it was one of the best corporate prayer times I can ever remember in the life of this church. Why? Well, first of all, people came, and the first week in August is a bit risky to hold something like that. As Robert Bushby, our interim moderator, wrote in the magazine, the church tends to take a rest during the summer months, but I noticed that Linfield URC has a week of prayer. It was interesting that it actually started with rain, just like we had this morning. 
Uh, and Carol and I were sitting there, having arrived early before the rain started, thinking, I wonder if anybody will come. Then out of all the mist of the rain and the pouring, we saw Michael Davis coming along like this. And we thought, hooray, people are coming. Another thing is that people stayed. Thinking of two hours of prayer each day, you often think that people are going to come and go, and some people did. But most people stayed for the whole two hours. People returned day after day. People were challenged. It wasn't a time of intercessions, praying for people, the world, situation, etc. And of course that is important, and there are weekly opportunities for us to do that. It was a time to come together in prayer before the Lord as part of our looking at ourselves. Growing, being discipled. Realise that, well, everyone couldn't be there. Some prayed through the leaflet at home. But there is something special about being together. And there were about nearly 40 people involved in that week of prayer. And of course, it's important that it doesn't become an end in itself. It'll be wasted if we just put the tick in the box and say, well, that's done, it's good to be able to report that we did that this year. Paul in our reading reminds us that there are many parts to the body of Christ and there are many ways for the body to come together to fulfil our mission. And our prayer time is one of these opportunities for coming together. Each day we focused on one aspect of living the Jesus way, starting on Monday with commitment where we just prayed through whether we'd lost our first love, had we become complacent. On Tuesday, we focused on obedience and used the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes to just work through that in in almost a more reflective way. Questioned whether we pick and choose the part of God's Word we want to obey. On Wednesday, we were being equipped using Paul's letter to the Ephesians on the armour of God. And the key point that came out of that, for most of us, I think, was the belt of truth. Reminding ourselves that on the armour, if the belt's loose, the armour is all misfitting. The belt needs to be tight. Our truth needs to be tight, needs to be clear. Bearing fruit was our meditation on Thursday. We perhaps prayed through whether there was any dead wood within what we do. We prayed through whether we may be refusing the gifts God wants to give us. Being a body was our next uh, reflection on the Friday. Recognising Jesus the head and the need for all the parts to work together. And on this day we did include time praying for those within our fellowship, within our body, who were in need. Saturday morning was going. And like the FedEx story, we were reminded that need to use what God had provided for us. And how in the New Testament the gospel spread primarily through relationships. Andrew introduced his brother to Jesus. Philip, his friend. Matthew threw a party for tax collectors. And we concluded on Saturday afternoon spending a time in quiet reflection, bringing the whole week's thoughts together around the Lord's table. Quite a lot of literature produced and if you feel you may have missed out and you want to catch up on some of those things, have a word with Carol and she'll uh, be able to provide you 
with some information. In our reading this morning, in the first letter to Corinthians, Paul is focusing on the fellowship. You and me, or in that case, the fellowship of believers in Corinth. He's actually responding to a number of questions that the church had submitted. Questions about marriage, questions about eating food that had been offered to idols, propriety in worship, orderliness in the Lord's Supper, and various other aspects. He didn't just think these up, he was responding to the questions. And one of these questions was about spiritual gifts and worship. And the Corinthian church was just asking Paul, can you clarify things for us? And the questions never change, do they? Because they're the same questions that are being asked throughout the church today. Paul is arguing the need for the church to be diversified in its gifts and yet to be unified in its belief in Christ. For Paul to worship God was firstly to recognise his lordship, but secondly to recognise that each person in the community is equipped and called. And called by the Spirit. To serve the church. No one person is better than another. All are needed. All have gifts. And we just need to be clear that when he finishes that uh, chapter by saying, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, he's not indicating that one gift is greater than any other. He's indicating that there are certain gifts at that time which may be more important in the life of that church. There's a wonderful story which I have shared before. One of the things I learned from Charles Martin was that you can repeat a a story. And um, it's about a four-year-old boy whose next-door neighbour was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. The man was sitting outside on the patio. And upon seeing the man cry, the little boy went into the man's garden, climbed onto his lap and just sat there. When his mother returned, uh, sorry, when he returned, his mother asked him, what did you say to that man? To which the little boy responded, nothing. I just helped him cry. Nothing. I just helped him cry. Are you being called to say just nothing? But just to help somebody cry, whatever that may mean in that particular context. Well, our bodies here this morning and the, the thinking of the, the bit with the, the children this morning was, you know, we need to see the whole picture. We need to be together. We're all in it together. In the early part of the chapter uh, of these Corinthian uh, chapter 12, Paul starts off by making a very bold statement about who God is and what God is about in verses 4 to 7. God himself, he says, is the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God, and yet even God himself 
has a variety of gifts, service and activity. In God, we have the perfect representation of what the church should look like. God is diverse and yet unified within the Trinity. God has different functions. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Paul recognises that the unity and yet the diversity of God and he's calling the church, us, you and I, to think through the same things. We've heard a lot about teams recently, haven't we, during the Commonwealth Games. The team is made up of many different people. Not all with the same gifts, but working together through their different gifts to achieve the best for their country. I always think it's interesting and I always think it's a bit sad, really, that you get races like long-distance cycling races where somebody's actually in the race to, to make sure that somebody else wins. Their role is to, to sort of control the race and make sure it wins in a long-distance, not, well, not that long-distance, but in, in long-distance uh, athletics, running. There are pace-setters who know that they're not actually going to win the race, but they're making sure that the pace is right for the person who they want to win. They work together. And it's the same within the church. Well, in today's culture, where we celebrate individualism, we're used to being independent, self-efficient. We have a hard time understanding how to work together as a body. And yet Paul is arguing here in this chapter about interdependence. We need each other, we need our abilities, we need our talents. And again, one of the dangers with looking at a passage such as this, we all perhaps think, well, we better get off and do something else. There's a need, we better do it. And that may be the case. Because God might be saying to you and to me, what you're doing at this time is just right. What you're doing at this time is just right. When a church is going through a time of vacancy, you get to certain points where everyone begins to think, hmm, have we got this right? And probably within a year of going into vacancy, that might be a time when the church here starts thinking, have we got it right? Well, we need to pray that through. We need to continue to pray that God is speaking to the person now who he wants here. And we believe that God is. And we need to continue our prayers praying that that person will hear that and respond. But we need to be encouraging each other in all that we can do. We're all in it. Together. So our calling at this time really is to pray, to ask God through the Holy Spirit to show us where we are called to serve. As Paul shares in this chapter, he's painting the exact picture that we are all given, that we are all given the message to help the church work together to proclaim the message of Christ. We need to ask ourselves the question, what are my 
passions? What are the things that I get excited about? What are some of the gifts and talents that I have? What could I do with these passions and gifts to serve the Lord? And as I said, we need to just be saying, Lord, am I doing what you want at this time? Or do you want me to do something else? One last story about a film called Mr. Holland's Opus. Mr. Holland is a high school music teacher, enters the profession with the idea that he'll be there for about four years and then make enough money to support his wife. And then for the rest of his life, he would go into work composing music. Well, life happens and his wife, he and his wife have a child, have to move to a bigger house, the bills get larger and the demands become harder. Ultimately, he ends up staying in the profession for 30 years. In the meantime, he learns how to incorporate his love of music into teaching. That's a huge impact on the students he taught. However, as he's retiring, he walks away thinking that his life didn't amount to much. He believed he had nothing to show for his 30 years of teaching. As he's leaving the school for the last time, he hears in the distance from the auditorium the chanting and clapping of several hundreds of people. And as he walks into the auditorium, the crowd stand and applause. And in the audience, you see lives of hundreds of students that he has touched. They honour him by playing the opus that he'd been writing for the past 30 years and sharing with him the way he touched their lives. Well, the point is that there are many of us who perhaps feel that what we have to offer will not make a difference. And if we think that, there will be gaps in the body. We won't be a completely united body because your gift is important. And if we think our gift will not make a, a difference, when we get to reach heaven one day, God himself will be giving us a standing ovation for the work that we've done here on earth to further his kingdom. We may never see the fruits of our labour, but God sees. We plant the seed and God waters those seeds until one day they bear fruit. And we always need to remember that. God uses ordinary men and women like you and me for an extraordinary purpose. He wants us to be a kingdom people. And he wants us to hear what he's saying to us.